Hi, I'm Danielle Vassal and welcome back to another episode of Tiny Tots of Fire and the Odds. Each episode touches upon the miraculous journeys of each guest, from medical emergencies and personal crises to parenthood and entrepreneurship. These are the stories and testimonies of great might and metal, and I can't wait to share them with you. Dr. Deborah Simmons is a proud mother of two feisty preemies, born at 26 weeks and 35 weeks at birth. For more than 25 years, Dr. Deborah has provided specialised counselling for infertility, all aspects of fertility treatment, pregnancy loss and traumatic deliveries, including premature delivery. She is the author of We Are Always With You, a love story for preemies and preemie parents. This is a must-listen conversation. So here is Dr. Deborah on the Tiny Tots Defying the Yachts podcast. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm fine, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, good. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm honored to have you on here today. And you are amazing and your journey is remarkable and the work you have done is remarkable as well. And I just want you to tell us about yourself, where you're from and who is Deborah. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm Dr. Deborah Simmons. I got my PhD in marriage and family therapy. And I did this because I had a 26-week preemie. And I thought, I, I used to be a lobbyist in D.C., working on healthcare policy. And I thought, so now I have a baby who's probably got some healthcare problems. And what am I going to do next? And the whole experience led me to get my doctorate and to start working with people around premature delivery, reproductive complications, birth trauma, all of that. So I moved the family out here to Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is like near Canada. And I have my own practice. I work with hospitals and clinics and people find me online. And my practice is partners in fertility. And my preemie work is as a part of that. I have two preemies. I have one 26-weeker, my daughter, Jen. And then I have a 35-weeker, Ben, who was born after 14 weeks on bed rest. I know how to do reproductive complications inside and out. You sure do. Tell us about your children's IQ journey and what was that like for you? Oh, for me, it was horror. I actually went into labor when I was in New Orleans. I was speaking at a conference. And... I decided I'm not having a baby here, and I transferred at the airport in Atlanta where my parents were. I saw them. It's the only time they saw me pregnant. Then I went home, and I started calling the OBGYN to say something is wrong, and they said, oh, it's probably nothing. So it was those words that were life-changing. And so when I did finally insist on coming in, they said, oh, my gosh, you are in active labor. And I could see everybody's faces were gray. Oh, she's going to sue me. And so they asked me to walk across the street to the hospital, which I still find astonishing. And then I delivered that night. So then Jenny was born 26 weeks. She wasn't doing well. And the second day, we were told that she wasn't going to make it. So we had friends come with us and we sang to her and we gave her permission to go. And that we loved her and that we always would love her. And then she lived. And the Dr. Ayman El-Mohandas, I just wrote a blog post about him, came to us and said, I don't understand why she's here. I think you pulled her out of the grave. 
And then she started getting better. And then she almost died about three weeks later. So that went on for 100 days. And towards the end of it, she had surgery to release fluid from her brain. And then finally, placement of what's called a VP shunt to remove fluid from her brain. And at that moment, it was like, she's awake. She's alive. It went from a live baby to a live baby. It was remarkable. My husband was not doing well with the whole thing. I went to work. I walked to the hospital. I walked back. I went back to the hospital. And I stayed there for 100 days. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. And the title of my book, We Are Always With You, is what I told Jenny. Every single time I had to go home or go back to the office, I would say, we are always with you. You are always with us. Lovely. We'll come to the book in a moment. Yes. I love what you're doing with that book venture, We Are Always With You. And it's such a beautiful title. And the message behind that is so lovely and resonating. But I want you to tell the audience, what were some of the moments where you thought to myself, my daughter Jen's going to make it out of NICU. She's going to live in spite of what obstacles are coming our way. What were those moments for you? There would be days when her oxygen would come down. Big win. Or the day that the nasal cannula came off. Bigger win. I thought, maybe this kid's going to actually come home. There were days when we held her for the first time when she was about three weeks old. I thought on that day, maybe she's going to come home. And then it was really towards the end when she started having the brain surgeries that, it, it, again, when that light switch went on inside of her, I thought, I'm really going to raise a child. This child's really going to come home. And we started to have some humor at that point that we could joke with the nurses as opposed to looking, please take this woman to a psychiatrist, which they did. It was the little things. We love that. Sometimes we have highs and lows for our Nikki journeys. It's amazing that you were able to joke with the nurses. I call it roller coaster stage. From right. one minute to the next, you don't know what's going to happen. But in the end, looking back, it can be humorous thinking, oh, we made it. Yeah. There was a day when they had moved Jenny from this room to this room. And so they saw how panicked I was about like, oh my gosh, she went backwards. They said, no, actually. She's here. She's just in a different place. And I walked in and she had a little Dixie cup on her head. The little drinking glasses, like when you are going to brush your teeth. She had a little Dixie cup taped to her head. And I said, what's that? And she said, oh, we didn't want to upset you. She's got an IV in her scalp. And I started to laugh. And they were like, are you okay? And I said, this little cup looked like the little hats that the mummers wear in the Philadelphia parades. It's these little, it's a little fez with a little thing on it. I started to laugh. I almost fell on the ground. I laughed so hard. And the nurses were like, okay, she's coming back. And Jenny was just happy. She was just there being happy and sweet and getting well. But it was the first moment really where, even though there was something icky going on in there, it was still like, okay. Because I use a lot of humor. I've learned to to laugh through almost everything because if we can cry or we can laugh. So I laugh a lot. And it's not that I'm making fun of. It's that I have to find the ridiculousness in situations to get through them. 
That's it. I love that. Laughter is good for the soul. And no harm in laughing, right? It releases the joy to laugh. Yeah, it does. And I understood that you changed your careers around your daughter's preemie journey. Yeah. Tell us about that and why you've done that. And to other parents who are thinking about going through the same thing, that it's okay to put your children first. Yeah. What you learn when you go through trauma is that you have to find meaning in it. It, you have to figure out, why did this happen? What can I do with it? Where do I go from here? And so that's why I went back to school. And my husband had a lot of professional relationships here in Minnesota. I thought, there's a children's hospital. I can go study. And I can reinvent. And so I, I really see her as my inspiration for the second half of my life. The things happen. So... Let's try and make good out of it. And my husband thought I was nuts. As I look back on it, I think I was nuts. It was challenging. I, I had my second baby, actually, on bed rest is when I started school. Even my professor thought I was crazy. I was like, I'm not doing anything else. I'm just laying here. Why not do something good for the world? If I've helped one person, it's a better world. I'm sure you have. And I understand that you are specialized in counseling and I want you to specifically talk about the work you've done to help counsel NICU parents through their traumas. Mm -hmm. And what was that like for you? Early on, when NICU parents would come see me, I would also get triggered by it. As they were describing something in the unit, I was also in my brain imagining what was going on in the unit. There were some tears for all of us. And I think that helped them. They told me that it helped them to feel understood. Because I wasn't downplaying it, I was not dismissing their concerns or saying, oh, your baby's here, what's your problem? I was a model of how do you heal from trauma and go on to have a good life. So I got training in a special kind of trauma work called EMDR. It's eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Because when you talk about trauma, our brains see things they don't want to see, and they hear things they don't want to hear. And the things that the doctor says to us get frozen into our brains or the way that our baby looks. And it helps to release something about that. It's not amnesia, but it helps people to say, this happened, and I don't have to carry it around 100% of the day now. It helps with flashbacks. A lot of people talk about they're just going through their lives and they hear a sound. And then they're back in the unit again. So it's really very good for that. And also, what you learn in reproductive complications is that you want to hear the story. What is the reproductive story? What is the, in this case, the story of the birth and then the story of the NICU? And so it may be the only time that parent has the opportunity to really go into depth about what happened on Monday, what happened on Tuesday, what happened on Wednesday, because everybody else wants to, you, you to get on with it. But what I've learned is that people only want to hear a happy story. So they'll, for me, they'll skip the hundred days that felt like walking on thin ice and say, but she's home now, she's good. And I, I said, yes, there's good news. And there's everything that led up to this moment that is good news. So parents are hugely appreciative of being able to be heard and also to process it. They'll, they'll say, gosh, that's the first time I've said that, or that's a piece of a detail that I didn't remember. 
it really helps people to unpack things, but then also to say, this was the terrible moment. Other things I could get through, but this was the terrible moment. And unfortunately, in a NICU, there could be multiple terrible moments. Definitely. And I loved what you said there. Sometimes it's good to embrace the good and bad in every story. Mm -hmm. It's okay to talk about it. That's the thing. People want to talk about it, and they have every right to talk about it, but other people don't want to hear it. Being a former NICU mom yourself and, and seeing your daughter go through her traumatic experiences and what dealing with that, why do you think it's important for parents in a NICU to seek counseling or therapeutic help to deal with their traumas based on what you went through? in your daughter's NICU journey and being in their shoes before, why is it important for them to seek that help? Because it doesn't go away. You're attempting to do something like, I'm just a parent. I'm just raising a child. And then you realize that things are different. Preemies are different than full-term children. And so there's this constant sense of feeling behind, not good enough. I did something wrong. There's a lot of shame around premature delivery. My body didn't do the thing it was supposed to do. Then we are around other parents and we see that they have no problems. Their baby sleeps. Their baby is doing great. Their baby doesn't go to the doctor four times a week. You begin to feel like I'm the bad thing. That's where the shame is. I caused this. You have to be willing to address that so that you can release the shame about it. It's difficult to raise a child, period, from a place of love, but also challenge. And then if you're doing it from a place of shame, nothing really is happy. And then what are you telling your child? I'm your mother. I'm a terrible person. I did this to you. That's not going to fly, really, because the child doesn't know that. The child just wants to know that their parent is okay. And it's very common. Again, when flashbacks come up, you just start crying. It's not intentional, but something happens inside. and you're in a different place again. There can be stigma about getting any kind of counseling here. I don't know what it's like in, in England. It, it, that seems to be opening up now that people are, are, after the pandemic, especially during and after the pandemic, that everybody was screwed up. And so maybe we just need something. Maybe we just need some help. Maybe we can help somebody else. So I just wish we would treat each other with kindness and compassion and just do the things that we need to do. That's what it's all about, treating each other with kindness and compassion. The world needs more love, and we've got to be that example. Each of us has to be an example, correct. After Nikki parents came to you for counseling, what were some of the joys, whether it's seeing them smile or seeing them get relief they needed to be uplifted during the hard moments of the tiny top Nikki journeys. Some of it was to not have to explain to me what the machinery was, what the medicines were. They felt like they had somebody who really got it. Because often our, our clients in the position of teaching us about things that we don't know. But in this case, so few people understand anything about the Nikki journey that they said something about a pulse ox or they talked about a cannula. I was like, yes. And how many days did they use the cannula? And sometimes they would look at me like, you know what a cannula is. And so then we were able to get deeper into the story about how did you do with your family? Did your family help you? Did they not? Did your friends help you? How did your work go? How was postpartum? 
how did your body function? And so when people really feel that deeply heard, and then we would do EMDR, the, the process I told you about before, they very consistently would say, ah, I just feel lighter. I'm not carrying something all the time. And then they would show me pictures of their children from this is in the NICU and this is now at the birthday party. And that was such a pleasure that they could see that there was some normal life on the other side of the NICU. Definitely. And I loved the journey from NICU to first birthday party to nursery and then school. I remember my mom kept her whole album of my NICU journey from right from when I was a tiny tot through to my first birthday, then my christening, the nursery, the moment I came out of a hospital. And all these moments, it's lovely to look back on and to see the progress and just to reminisce on how even though life can be one way, one particular season, it can change and it, it irradiates joy and it provides some sort of relief, doesn't it? Yes. And and you can really see the progress from all the machineries to some of the machinery to this kind of a bed from a, an isolate to a, a warming bed. All of those things have a meaning to us, a reminder of our resilience, of your resilience, of my daughter's resilience, about feisty little buggers you all are, and that you have done and been remarkable just by being born and being alive. That's, I don't think people realize how life is precious in that moment. Is this little tiny little person going to live? And then we're like, how is this little one going to? The questions change. Yes. But also a lot of doing. I was not a therapist when Jenny was born, but I started almost by intuition. I would put, when she came home, I'd put spices under her nose. I would take her on a walk and we would touch a tree and I would say, rough when we touch the bark and so just extra things that i understand now that therapists do i didn't know those things she did a lot of occupational therapy a lot of physical therapy i imagine you did the same and the parents they take their children to the pediatrician when they're six months old we go four times a week plus all these other appointments and try and fit all that in and look for the little tot's brain to wake up. It's just part of the story that full-term parents don't know. Completely different ball game. It really is. I love your book project, We Are Always With You. It is such a beautiful project. And I've seen some amazing reviews on that, on five-star ratings. I love the meaning behind that. And I want you to Tell the audience, what was the inspiration behind that? We're always with you had so far on some NICU parents. They understand the language. We are always with you because they feel like NICU parents, we feel like we're ripped away from our babies in the NICU. We're afraid that if we leave the room, the baby's going to die. And so I wanted to have some message for Jenny that I'm coming back. Nikki parents feel a lot of like we're abandoning our babies and yet we have to sleep. So I wanted there to be a consistent thing. And I use it a lot, actually. Even all these years later, we send a yearly letter to family and friends. And I'll say in it, we're always with you and you are always with us. 
So it, it's just a, a way of connection. I just did it from my heart. I also wrote it because I had to find some way to understand what was all this. What is this crazy experience? And I wanted to have something that Jenny could look at also to talk with her about it. You said your mother took a lot of pictures. I took a lot of pictures because I thought either I have, I've documented that I can look back on it and we can look at it together. You've seen the cover of the book. That actually comes from a picture that I took of her with all of her lines, all of her leads and all of that. And when I was talking with Siski Kala, who is the illustrator, the wonderful illustrator, we put this in a heart so that you could see that the staff loved her, that friends and family loved her, that this little baby was tremendously loved, even though people hadn't met her yet. And I think you and she were very much in the middle of that picture. That's for sure. In the heart of that moment in our lucky journey. The heart of the ice. Yep. But somehow we made it and we survived. Beyond grateful. Yeah. Beyond grateful. And our parents had resilience as well because, yes, we were fighting for our lives, but you had resilience not to give up, to keep going and to focus on the end result. There was a beacon of hope at the end of the day. And I just love, you wrote it from the heart. And when you write something from the heart, that's where it's more heartfelt and it's more authentic and Mm -hmm. people can relate. And even the picture itself is just so precious because it's a real moment in time. Have you and Jenny had a chance to share your stories on different platforms? We've done some on TikTok. We've done some on Instagram. Little bits. Sometimes it's spontaneous because we're trying to figure out what, would be interesting to people. One of the ones we did on TikTok and Instagram was, do you remember us talking about the photos that you and I were just talking about, Danielle? That when she was about two, she found all the pictures. And and I said, this is what you were like when you were born. And I'd be crying. (laughs) And she'd be like, why are you crying? I'm right here. So we were able to to really talk in depth, even as a two-year-old, about what it all meant, about how she was so strong and how there were times when she was so fragile and how much she was loved. And I tried to put that into the book as well, that we can talk about these things. So I wanted it to be a way to be real and not gooey. I was saying to a friend recently that it's important to embrace every part of emotions in our journey. The good, the bad, crying, happiness, every part of emotions makes our journey unique. And we have to have emotions to just yeah. take us through different seasons of life. Yes. Yeah. This, and for us to repress it or pretend that it's over, our bodies will tell us actually it's not. I, I do this very often. Somebody will be telling me about something traumatic. Cognitive behavioral therapy will say, that's over now. So you're okay, right? And people will look at me as though I have a third eye. Pardon? It's not over. (laughs) It's not over in here. I'm like, correct. So we can say it's over, but some part of our innards know that we're still working on something. And that's why if we try and repress it, it's not going to. Let it out, out with the old and with the new. What message would you give to other parents and the NICU going through 
a tough time right now with their little tots fighting for their lives. And what would you say to parents who want to seek help, but they're withdrawing because they're scared of letting it all out or opening up about the rawness of their journey? It would be two things. The first one is watch the baby. Other people will want to say all kinds of things to you. Everything's going to be okay. You don't know that. Watch the baby. You look for your own signs that things are stable or improving or that you need to pull one of the nurses over and say, I'm concerned about this. The baby's foot is purple. Can we look at that? The other thing is get the help that you need because you're going to be parenting and parenting is challenging. And clear your own house out before you fill it with new things. Other people will not want to talk, will not want you to talk about it because it's just so difficult. And yeah, it is difficult. So find somebody with whom you can really talk about the difficulties so that you can feel more free. Love that. Good way to summarize it. And what we were saying, it's not going to be easy. Look for signs, number one, that things aren't okay and that need improvement. Speak up on it. And number two, parenting is not going to be easy. So you've got to just take it step by step. And love is what leads. That you look at each of the little parts of your baby and you feel the soft skin and you touch is so important to preemies. Hold them all the time. Sing to them. Wake their brains up and believe. Believe in the baby and believe in your own ability as a parent. Love that. You just got to believe. Believe in your tiny tongue and believe in you. As a parent, you can get through this. Right. And ask for help. We are not alone. None of us is alone. We, we have to be willing to reach out and say, I need something, or can you please help me? Be open to receive, isn't it? Yes. Lovely advice there, Deborah. <laughs> I do my best. Tell us where we can find you on your socials and if people want to connect with you and reach out for help themselves. Mm-hmm. Where can they find you? I have a couple of things on Instagram. One is at Your Preemie Story. That's where I put up all kinds of things, actually. Pictures, stories, sometimes the videos that Jenny and I do. At Deb Simmons PhD is where my general Instagram is. And so I'll also put things about preemies on there. My website, yourpreemiestory.com, is where my blog is and then also where the book is. And then on tip, it's at Preemie Dr. Simmons. Awesome. Thank you so much, Deborah, for joining me today. It's been lovely having you. I am so grateful to have the opportunity to talk to you and to say how grateful I am that you're alive and that you're well and that to, to have the opportunity to connect. I've been blessed listening to your journey and just sitting back and hearing you out. And it's been lovely. <laughs> Thank you. I so appreciate it. You're very welcome. And even Jen's story is amazing as well. It's amazing to see her thrive as well. Yeah, I'm grateful every day, truly. Tomorrow's not promised. Correct. So live every day in the moment. And connect with other people. Yes, because we need each other. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're very welcome. See you all next time. I hope you were inspired by today's podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And it was a pleasure to have you. 
listening in and, and tuning in. So I appreciate it and love you guys.